0: I think this is yep. one of the most not talked about, subjects. definitely. Welcome to this episode of Finding Your Range podcast. with me, Jeannie Debon, a movement therapist who specializes in hypermobility, EDS and chronic pain. And today I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by our expert patient, Dana Carter. So welcome, Dana. Dana is a 37-year-old female who lives in Tampa, Florida, USA. She's married with two children aged seven and five. She works part-time as a women's health nurse practitioner, partly to help women of all ages in a way that she wishes she had been helped. And after 25 years of symptoms involving multiple systems, she was diagnosed with hypermobility type EDS, a couple of years after her second child was born. Throughout her medical journey, she has researched a lot and learned more than she could have imagined and thrives off relaying this information and compassion to women with similar symptoms. So thank you so much for joining us today and uh, welcome to Finding Your Range. Thank you. We really, really appreciate it because um, as, as we've explained in episode one, this podcast finding your range is also about uncovering what it's really like to live with a condition with hypermobility or EDS or another chronic illness. And um, I was really interested by your bio and it, it's brought out a few questions for me. So I'd like to dive in straight away with that. Go right
1: ahead. Yeah.
0: So, so you, your intro mentioned that you had 25 years of symptoms, which is yes. huge, involving multiple body systems. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and and when did you start to notice problems and issues?
1: Sure. Um, So I I could go on and on and I could make this very detailed, but I'll try and condense it Um, for as long as I can remember. I remember from the time I started school, ages five or six, um, my eyesight started to go very early. So it affected EDS, was affecting my eyes. Um, mm-hmm. I started having daily headaches at the age of seven. Mm-hmm. Um, and periodic migraines. My first migraine was at the age of eight. Wow. Um, and and my GI system was just never right. Um, and as a kid, you don't know what you're doing. Your parents, especially, you know, in the '80s and early '90s, diet wasn't as significant. It seems like as it is now, just because yes. of all the additives and the inflammation and all this stuff. It wasn't so much that you heard about that you needed to stick to this, you know, autoimmune or anti-inflammatory diet. So I was eating like a normal kid and I had the worst time going to the bathroom. Um, And I remember just years of being in grade school and having the worst stomach pains Mm -hmm. um, and not knowing why, you know, other people around me eating just fine. And here I was. Um, Yeah. And then I started having a lot of allergy problems. I had chronic hives. Um, I had angioedema. I mean, as a as a kid, I would just cry because you didn't understand, you know, what was the underlying issue, and you'd go to person after person after person to try and help. And yes. my, my mother tells me when I was young, she she was being told that I was either faking it mm-hmm. as a child. Yep. Um, or I had a brain tumor or, you know, the whole other end of the spectrum. Yes. Um, And that's just, that's what you're taught and you're taught to really put that faith in the medical provider and that they absolutely Mm -hmm. know what's best. Um, And then when puberty hit, um, my menstrual pains were always horrible. Mm -hmm. Um, I started developing ovarian cysts um, and just had really a lot of pain, a lot of pelvic pain. And again, you just chalk it up to being okay, and this must be what everybody deals yeah. with.
0: Yes, exactly. You think it's normal, right? Because right You we don't, don't know, know what any normal difference. Is. Exactly. Yes. Yes.
1: Um, in college, I ended up. I remember on multiple occasions, and of course, you don't know you're eating awful in college most of the time. And I still was normal weight. Um, if anything, I always had trouble keeping weight on, but. I'd go out to dinner and everybody would have a nice meal and I'd have that same meal and I'd be in so much pain, so Mm -hmm. much pain. I'd have to cancel plans. um, And that was still on top of the headaches. Um, I was diagnosed for my first um, like inflammatory thing I was diagnosed with was Hashimoto's thyroiditis. When I was a kid, I was in uh, sixth or seventh grade. and then my headaches, they just said, well, she gets headaches. They're somewhat hormone related. Who knows how things are going to go. Yes. Um, and then my GI symptoms when I was in college, I mean, I think I was maybe 19 or 20. I had a huge GI workup um, that involved horrible procedures, not just, you know, colonoscopy, but among so many other things. Yes. And consensus was, well, She's got a rectal prolapse already at the age of 20. And I was in nursing school at the time and I in clinicals and I had seen what happens to women after they have pregnancies. And I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to have surgery right now as a 20, 21 year old girl to fix a problem that after babies or whatever, is going to get worse. And it just never seemed like anyone would think beyond what a textbook says. There, I always felt like I was trying to be fit into this mold yeah. of what should be like so many people with Ehlers-Danlos. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't fit into that. It was more yes. frustrating for the provider. Yeah. And yeah. here I was going to school to become that person. And I just never wanted, I never wanted to become that. Yes. Um, so the, the GI symptoms, I tried to, I was on so many different medications, nothing worked. Um, the one thing I learned very early on, I remember tuning into my breathing and, and so much of it was pain management with my GI tract and yeah. my menstrual cramps and all that. But yes. I really, at a young age, what breathing does and what good it does. Yes. Um,
0: Fantastic.
1: Yes. I ended up having um, fertility issues. Um, a lot of, um, we had two miscarriages. One was an ectopic um, and the ectopic, I was in so much pain, but I had suffered through so much pain that it was just like another thing. And sure. thank goodness my husband said, let's go to the hospital. And I kept downplaying it because just it's just more pain. Yeah. Yes. So pain and, had
0: become kind of a normal part of your life because we're talking. Definitely. I mean, how many years now are we talking since you first? So from the age of seven Yes. To how old are we now? What do we? 37,
1: very, 30 wow. years. And trying to figure out how to manage it, Yeah, I mean, really on my own, and between, you know, trigger point injections, they did Botox for my headaches, which made everything so much worse. They wanted to do Botox injections to the pelvic floor. Um, I ended up having a hysterectomy because of my pelvic floor problems, um, which ended up, ironically, when I was in surgery for the hysterectomy, my shoulders were positioned in a way that they... Sublux during surgery, and the recovery from that was worse than the recovery for the hysterectomy. You know, the stuff that comes along with EDS. Yeah, Um, so autonomic dysfunction, all that. So, how did
0: you actually get your diagnosis in the end? Because obviously, you've had a massive journey.
1: Yeah. So, who
0: who did it? How did you find out? How did you get there?
1: So, after I had both of my children, my headaches got so much worse. I went from having, you know, one to two migraines a month to having them six to eight times a month. And then forget it after my daughter. Um, It was about 15 to 18 times per month. And then I started having cluster headaches. Um, The GI stuff, because both of my kids had milk and soy allergies, I ended up messing with my own diet postpartum. And I couldn't believe how it really helped with my GI symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, I finally felt like I could go to the bathroom like every few days, instead of going weeks, I would go weeks without having a bowel movement. Um, so I figured a lot of things out there, yeah. but the yeah. headaches, it seemed like no matter what I did, the headaches were still so horrible. So I went to Mayo Clinic in mm-hmm. Jacksonville, Florida, and yes. the neurologist looked at me, he did the most thorough exam, um, more than any other neurologist or or gastro really had ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, and after about 30 minutes, he said, well, I think you have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And wow. I had been a nurse practitioner for over 10 years, and I had seen that once.
0: Oh, um, So you knew what I, it was?
1: You, I did, you'd heard of it? or He came in, I Googled her symptoms, yeah, and I actually thought she sounded a lot like me. Ah. And I thought, maybe this is what I have. And I saw yes. hypermobility, and I said, oh, no, that's not me. I Perfect. had no clue
0: how hypermobile, hyper-mobile yes. i was
1: i mean since i was a kid i'd be able to pop my hip and <laughs> do all and i just thought everybody did that yeah
0: yeah yeah it's so, funny isn't
1: it yes yeah, uh, so when this neurologist sorry. said it and i started researching hypermobile eds i was blown away because finally all these mm. symptoms and Makes I, can't, i probably told five or six different providers at one point i said listen i've got all these things there has to be something yeah. that makes all this related, and they would look yeah. at me and go, "No, like you, no, I know." <laughs> so that when he just... diagnosed me, so I couldn't believe how it all finally added up. So did you have
0: a sense of relief at that point that
1: I did you going mad and yes, like, you know, because yeah. of course, so many people had told me it's psychological. Um, in my twenties, they wanted me on Zoloft, and I I didn't take it because I. Kn- I knew I wasn't crazy. Yeah. I knew that I had tried so much and I just I kept telling my husband over and over again I feel like I have these tiny puzzle pieces and I'm trying mm. to put together this mm. huge puzzle and I just want help from other people to give me the rest yes. of the information and I'll piece it together.
0: Yes. And absolutely.
1: That so, that's been huge.
0: It's been huge. So, so you've got your diagnosis and then obviously you were able to start learning how to manage it. Yeah. You know, that's a huge thing, right? Because when we find yes. out what it is, you can actually know what you're dealing with. And I think that takes yep. a lot of the stress away because, you know, totally personally for me, I always thought there must be something really badly wrong with me because right. how can I have so many things wrong with me at the same time? And you
1: live in fear of your body.
0: Yeah, yes. absolutely. So, which makes things worse. Yeah. And then Wait. of course that affects starts to affect so many other things like our sleep and obviously mm-hmm. gesture, so many things. Yes. So, there's gonna be lots of people listening to this who can totally relate, and they're probably sitting there shouting at the computer or their phone saying, That's me, <laughs> I that's hope. me, that's me. That was me. <laughs> yeah. So, what advice would you say to them? Someone who was in your shoes, and what would you say to them now? What could but they what do?
1: Then, um I mean, I've seen that there's so much lack of compassion, at least in the States, um, in medical providers. And I've been tempted to leave the medical field so many times because I don't want to be a part of that, but there are people that do care Mm -hmm. um, and not everybody feels that way. This diagnosis has given me more compassion and more empathy towards people that Mm. I just didn't understand. I mean, even my own family. the biggest thing is just try and find the positives. It's very easy to get down on those high pain days. I mean, I'd look at my husband during a cluster headache attack. And meanwhile, my stomach was a mess. I can't eat what I want to eat. My diet's so restricted. And I'd say, you know, they talk about this type of pain being to the point where you don't want to live. And I said, I'm not going to take my life, but I get it. I completely Mm -hmm. get how if People don't have other positive things going in their life. Mm-hmm. How do you live like this? Yeah. You have to find the positives. You have yeah. to, you have to see the people in your life. Um, and if they they're not going to understand, no no one, unless they are feeling what you feel, are going to understand. But if they care to be there. Mm-hmm then that's huge. And look at the other parts that maybe your kids are healthy. I mean, I always say, I'm just so thankful that my kids are healthy and, um, and I have the drive to want to learn more yes. to better myself. There are yeah. ways yeah. to manage it yes. and we're They're not all fitting all. into this perfect little box. So what works yeah. for yeah. one person with EDS might not,
0: Absolutely. I was told over and
1: over again to do the, um, a specific physical therapy protocol That's supposed to be great for EDS. And I was in so much pain for weeks doing that. Mm -hmm. And I'd hear all these stories of people that improved. And even the provider that recommended it to me was telling me, you know, the person that did this, they're doing triathlons now. And, you know, you hear this and just think, gosh, could that possibly be me? And it was horrible for me. Yeah. But that led me to the zebra club, that led me to movement therapy and hearing your, um, basis and the foundations of movement therapy, I thought this is what's going to work for me. Someone else might not do it, but this is what's Mm going to work for me. And it's, it's helped. Yes, Yeah.
0: Yeah. you've raised a really good point because, um, you know, we're not, we're not the same. Every single one of us listening to this is going to be different. And, um, Some things work for some people, some things don't. And of course, you've got different levels of EDS as well. So some people yes. are quite mildly affected. Some of us right. are quite severely affected. So there is no one size fits all. Um, yes. But there are, like you said, there are things out there. You know, Please don't give up hope because yes. there are things we can do. And there is support. And like I right. said, there are people out there who do care. I mean, we've all been there. We've all been around the lots of the doctors and the consultants and been crying. I've been crying in my doctor's surgery, you know, begging for help, being told, do I want antidepressants? No, I don't want antidepressants. I'm not depressed. I just want someone to acknowledge that something's not quite right and can we look into it? Right. Um, So, you know, to our listeners out there, you know, please don't give up, you know, keep looking. There will be answers out there. Um, Yes. And, and they subtly, might, they're
1: probably not going to be what you expected. Yes. I mean, exactly. my mind is so open to so many different things that you're just, I wasn't taught in my nursing training. I wasn't, mm-hmm. I don't even think we, we didn't have a lecture on EDS. That's we the didn't thing. have a discussion about holistic and how your body's connected. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact how much my, my hips affect my head and my back and Yeah, I know if my ankle and my knee hurt, it's my pelvis that's the underlying cause. I never would have thought of that two years ago. Yeah, and so to be so open minded and you know try things in a healthy way that maybe you wouldn't have thought of before.
0: Yeah, definitely. Everything is connected, you know, and and we talk a lot about the fascia. As you know, I'm a huge fan of fascia and the connective tissue. And so when you start to look into this you can see how totally one thing is going to impact something else. And that's why obviously things like our guts and our lungs and our hearts right. can be affected. Yep. Um, so yeah, no, very interesting. And the other thing that I was really interested about in your bio, um, you know, and thank goodness you stayed in the medical profession, you know, <laughs> we need more people like you with compassion and empathy, but, you know, you said that, your work is really what drives you—is to help women in a way that you wish you had been helped. So, yes, we've talked a little bit about it, but you know, can you elaborate about your experience in the medical system
1: that has driven yeah. you
0: to, to try and change it? Which is great, you
1: know. Yes, yes. So, um, like I said, as a child, they, I was told that I was making it up, and I was a very easygoing kid. Um, I was very social, and my mother would sit there and say she's not a stressed out child. She's not, things at school aren't bothering her. She's, she's not making this up. Mm. Um, And nobody really tried to find the underlying cause. I mean, even from the time that my lips were swelling, my eyes were swelling, I was covered in hives and all they did was say, take Benadryl, take Mm. Benadryl. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Years later, I find out I'm allergic to artificial colors, and every Benadryl I'm taking is pink,
0: <laughs> and just That's making high.
1: everything so much worse. Um, and then even with the the gynecological issues, you know, here I had the knowledge, and I would ask other people for their opinion, and it was either it was always take this synthetic hormone mm-hmm. or try, and nothing nothing did it um, yep. during my pregnancies. I had quite a few physicians just, and these were people that I actually worked with, really downplay some of my symptoms. And thank goodness I went to one of the providers I trust the most. um, And he found out that I needed um, a cerclage, which is a stitching to keep the baby in. I was already dilating Mm -hmm. at 10 weeks. Oh my Um, goodness. And I was, my uterus was so prolapsed um, that anytime I stood up because those, now I know, that my uterus was actually sitting very low and having a tough time keeping the baby in. Yes. And then after my kids, I had multiple people diagnose me with lupus, and I would yes. sit there and say, "I don't have lupus. That's I don't have, So common. I, yes. I hear that all I, the
0: time.
1: Yes, psoriatic arthritis, and then nope, they were biopsying skin things, um, but lupus was the huge diagnosis. And if I didn't know what the medical field can tend to do. And if I didn't have my knowledge of, you know, where to look for answers, I would have taken that first diagnosis Mm -hmm. and be treated like somebody who has lupus. And chances are those medications would have made me feel so much worse all because I put my faith in what the provider was saying, which is what you should be able to do. Mm -hmm. And then on top of it, as I've gotten older and as the medical Field has changed even more dramatically, you're given less time with your provider. So you're you're not given time to tell a story. Most providers here see patients every 10 to 15 minutes. And one of my biggest negotiating things with any job I have is you've got to give me at least 30. I have to listen to this person and hear their story. And now I kind of have a reputation in the community of go to Dana, she will actually listen. And they come, you know, I'm, I do all gynecology, but they start telling me so many of their multi-system problems. And there's been quite a few times where I have to catch myself because I don't want to assign hypermobility or to (laughs) to everybody.
0: But I'll be
1: listening to someone and I'll say, can you do this (laughs) with your hand? (laughs) They'll look at me like I'm crazy. But So many times people just have dealt with their symptoms because no one can figure out what it is. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be your own advocate. And it's so unfortunate that it's this way. I've, I've cried too. And I'm, I'm very stubborn. I don't like people seeing I'm stronger than that in my mind. You're not going to make me cry. If you're not helping me, I'm not going to let you make me cry. But there have been times where providers have looked at me and I've said what's worked for me. Um, and they've looked back at me and said, are you treating yourself or am I, who's doing it here? And that, that was probably the biggest thing that brought me to tears because you've got to collaborate with your patient. You've got to listen. It's a team effort. You as the provider don't know, unless you have that patient talking to you and telling you what their problem is. And that, that was so rare. That was so rare to think about the number of providers I've seen um, and the number of things they've tried. Finally, right before I went to Mayo Clinic, my neurologist said, we need to do genetic testing on you because there's got to be something genetically wrong where you're not absorbing these meds that I'm giving you. Mm-hmm. There's something mm-hmm. wrong with you because my plan's not working. Right, And there, there's something so wrong about that. And I know yeah. it's a it's a frustrating diagnosis and chronic pain patients are difficult to treat but that doesn't mean that you make them feel worse and that doesn't mean you give up on them. You've got to inspire yeah. them to be advocates for themselves. And if you're Absolutely. Yeah, if you're just tearing them down, you're not helping to build them up. It's no. horrible.
0: Yeah. No, that's really really important. You know, we have got to empower our patients, our clients, and empower yep. people, you know, like you say, there's nothing worse than people being told, well, there's nothing people come to see me and they've literally been written off. There's nothing right. more I can do for you, sorry. I mean, and I, it makes me so angry because I think, think of the impact of your words on that
1: person, yes.
0: you know, how is that gonna make them feel? And of course it's just rubbish because there's always right. something we can do always. Yes,
1: um, yes. And if it's not the way that they learned it can't possibly be right. I mean, yeah. I've had with ehlers Stanlos and all of my problems, I've had to be so open-minded to so many different things. And it's helped me in my clinical practice too, Yeah, because I realized just what I learned in those years of school, that's not the end-all. There's so, yeah. what I've learned about the body and our muscles, I, I hated learning about orthopedics in school. That was my <laughs> least favorite topic. And now I am fascinated. We didn't learn about fascia. And no, the fact, no. like for fascia to be its own sensory organ, that's amazing. I mean, we didn't even touch on that. No, no, the no. fact that I wasn't even certain that I had fascia in all parts of my body, but to <laughs> see how it, the connective tissue is affected and how fascia is in that connective tissue.
0: Oh yeah.
1: I mean, I my nerves were so hypersensitive. I could feel my, my pregnancies, um, differently than anyone had ever told me. I felt my baby move at like 13, 14 weeks and I thought I was crazy or I'd feel so many things so significantly. And I thought I was crazy. And to hear how much fascia is affected Mm -hmm. and how that's all over. I mean, that's why people experience pain differently. They've got, you're not taught that and you don't know that unless you really look into it. So so many people just aren't open-minded because they don't want to be wrong
0: yeah yeah you won't find many medical professionals talking about fascia sadly no <laughs> um, sadly that's why i keep shouting about it <laughs> still, still spreading the word so yes you've talked a little bit about it obviously with your job but if you could how would you like to see things changed and we've kind of touched on it now but how should things change so that EDS or chronic illness patients get the treatment they deserve? What would you like to see changed in the system?
1: I think the biggest thing um, is the amount of time that you're given with patients. It, is, it has turned into a very money-driven um, field and very insurance-based. You know, for me being on the provider side as well as the patient side, I would go to providers and think, I know that I'm one of 30 people they're going to see today. Mm. And I would find myself apologizing if they'd asked me a question and it led to a different problem because I knew that person did not have the time that they were supposed to have. And part of that is the provider's preference because a lot of times they'll get paid by the patient. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's the corporation they work under because they don't get reimbursed the way that they were supposed to. They don't get paid the way that they were used to. So they're left in this situation where if they see less patients a day by spending more time with them, they'll lose money. And that's, that's horrific. Like how is the medical field more concerned about money and they're going to actually have to lose a significant amount because of what they get reimbursed Mm -hmm. and the amount of time that they have with a patient. And the biggest thing that needs to change is if providers had more time, um and they were allotted more time or forced to have more time with a particular patient and they would get the money that they need to sustain and mm-hmm. insurance companies wouldn't you know interfere with It'd be great if insurance covered massage and movement therapy and pilates classes and yeah. they, they don't they no. cover no. medicine you know yeah. hard fast medicine yes
0: yes but well, it's react that needs to it? change I think, yeah, we're kind of talking, we want preventative yes, um, rather than just reactive medicine. And to
1: hear the story so you know the underlying issue yeah. and yeah. to stop slapping Band-Aids on things, Band-Aids that a lot of times make the problem worse. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah, But yeah. to
1: find the underlying issue, and if you can't solve it, at least try and help manage, have compassion.
0: Yeah, yeah. 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 And obviously, um, you're in the states so obviously yours is all a private system but um yeah you know over here obviously in the uk we have the nhs but it's struggling as well with things you know the waiting list to see someone on the nhs are you know minimum a year um
1: (laughs) that's insane
0: yeah so you know it's not and obviously it's free over here for the nhs but we have a very similar issues, you know, people aren't listened to, they get pushed from pillar to post um, and they have to wait a long, long time. Um, And in that time, obviously they're floundering about on their own. So yeah. And I don't know what the answer is to that because obviously, you know, lack of resources and it's very, very difficult, but um, yes. Um, Now, I wanted to touch on, and then you've touched on it as well. Um, obviously you've had two pregnancies, um, and it sounds mm-hmm. like they were quite, um, high risk, high risk. <laughs> yes. So, um, would you mind talking about your pregnancies, but also, um, pelvic floor and, um, yes. you know, this is an area that, you know, we don't really talk about because pelvic right. floor and, you know, it's one of my issues and, um, it was never talked about because it's kind of private right you don't talk right. about things like your pelvic floor or your bladder or your great right. right. great or anything yes. like that it's just yes. who can you tell who can you talk to that you're having issues but yes you know this podcast is all about let's uncover the real what it's like and how can we help each other with because people are listening going to have very similar issues pelvic floor yes. bladders etc so would you right. mind sharing a little bit with us about what you've what you've gone through and and how you managed it what what was your sort of how you cope with this now
1: sure um the pregnancies so we had we'd gotten pregnant pretty quick with our first um but then lost that pregnancy at about seven weeks um and then it took about two or three months more and we got pregnant again that was the ectopic um and you know like i had said i'd had I'd had ovarian cysts, my menstrual cramps were so bad, the GI pains that I had just from the the slow motility and the stretching of that Mm -hmm. um, rectal wall, everything. Yes. Um, So when the rupture act, the ectopic actually ruptured, um, and I ended up losing my fallopian tube. So I only had one tube, two ovaries, and my uterus, and we had already struggled. Um, so then, after about a year and a half to two years of trying, we hadn't gotten pregnant again, um, and I wasn't sure what really I wanted to do about it. You know, what next steps I had seen mm-hmm. the adoption process be really um, tough, but I also saw the infertility side. You know, I would treat my patients that had infertility, and yeah. I knew the cost of it and all of that. Um, we ended up seeing a reproductive specialist, and she looked at me and. She said, with your losses and some of your autoimmune inflammatory stuff, um, she said, you cannot get pregnant unless you do in vitro. Right. Um, and I had kind of shut that off. Um, so it took a little while. And then finally my husband and I decided we would try once and see what happens. Um, and we ended up having quite a few great embryos to use. And we got pregnant with my son. Um, the whole pregnancy, I was so surprised at some sy- symptoms, which ended up now I look back and they were my autonomic nervous system was out of whack. So I remember being so out of breath um, in my first yeah. trimester. I was so tired and I know everyone said you'd be tired. I was so tired, um, but I felt like I had more pains. I had horrible reflux, um, but the GI tract was a whole other mess. deal with. Um, Whole new way of eating, all of that, trying to figure out what to do. His pregnancy was high risk because um, I started to dilate with him a little bit early as well. And he always sat very low. Um, I couldn't believe how my bladder was. I mean, I was, and again, I thought, well, it's what pregnant women do. But even in the first trimester, I was getting up twice in the middle of the night to pee. And I thought, well, this is this is what happens and my hormones and all that. So um, he came a little bit early, ended up having to have an emergency C-section with him. So there was surgery to the pelvic area. Mm -hmm. Um, The recovery from the C-section was very painful, but I also, after having my son, I became anaphylactic to um, NSAIDs. So I couldn't take Tylenol, ibuprofen, Oh. I never took narcotics because of what it did to my GI tract. I mean, if I took half a narcotic, I wouldn't go to the bathroom for a week easy. Um, so I was on no pain med. So that was tough. Um, and then after I had him, I had so many, so many different pains. So a lot of joint pain. So my SI joint for the first time really started acting up and mm-hmm. I would have x-rays and they'd tell me it was fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my hands and my wrists were horrible just with the systemic joint pain. That's when they said, well, you're having joint pain, you're postpartum, you've got lupus. Right. Um, The headaches had gotten so much worse. Um, And my diet diet was a turning point there because I was finally able to really help um, with my constipation by my diet and some magnesium. So that was huge. Um, Then I got pregnant we ended up using one of our uh, frozen embryos. So we had to go through that whole process again with my daughter um, and she was even more high risk. Everything was prolapsing. So my uterus was sitting on top of my bladder. I'd already been diagnosed with the rectal prolapse in my 20s. So everything was just so weakened and prolapsed mm-hmm. and her pregnancy. Meanwhile, I have such little babies. I mean, when they were born, they were just under six pounds. Aww. Um but they felt so heavy. And every movement that my daughter made, it was pain. I mean, the pulling and the pain. And now I know, I mean, my ligaments, my uterus, my uterus had been, you know, cut into the scar tissue and how we scar and how we Mm -hmm. heal. Um, And then meanwhile, the ligaments were being so pulled and I had a stitch in my cervix to keep her in. So she was a planned C-section. Um, So luckily delivery was good. I was on bed rest yes. for most of the pregnancy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause when I was about 20 weeks, I went to my physician that I was actually working with at the time. And I said, I feel like her head is literally in my vaginal walls and I'm worried. And he did an exam and he could feel her head at 20 weeks
0: Wow. Um,
1: and said, you need to go home. You're not working anymore. And don't, don't get up unless you have to. But he said, I don't know if you're going to make it to 24 weeks. And I did what I was supposed to do. My Luckily, I had a great support system. My family's nearby. My husband was great. I had almost a two-year-old at that time, too. Um, and we made it to 37 weeks, and we had our other planned C-section. Wow. And then after that, um, I had a really tough time with my bleeding for five years until I finally had the hysterectomy, I would bleed two weeks out of the month with my cycle. Mm -hmm. And nobody, I mean, I had, I couldn't figure out what it was because I wasn't diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos yet, Mm -hmm. but I knew all the possible things it could be, kind of treated myself for those things, went to the providers, um, my OBGYNs, and they did procedures to look for polyps and I had a fibroid. I would had ovarian mm-hmm. cysts. Um, mm-hmm. And the answer was just hormones, 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 and you know synthetic hormones, um, which I tried and they just made everything worse. So finally, I just got to the point where I said, well, I'm going to deal with this. The bleeding wasn't horribly heavy except for a few days. Yeah. Um, it just yeah. was more annoying. And the cramps were getting worse and worse. And meanwhile, my uterus is prolapse. So it's sitting even lower. So not only was I getting back pain, um, low pelvic pain, but I was getting vaginal pain because of where everything was sitting. Um, so finally I got to the point and we uh, I had a laparoscopic hysterectomy. So my ovaries are there. They weren't doing this huge surgery and they laparoscopically mm-hmm. took uh, my uterus which has helped a lot with my bladder problems. So I don't have that uterus sitting on my bladder anymore. Yes. Um, but I know things are still certainly weak. I ended up, I can't believe I almost forgot to say this. Um, I went and had pelvic floor rehab therapy done yes. um, to help with, trying to think if that was, that was before my hysterectomy. That was about a year before my hysterectomy. I had gone there to see if she could help um, and we tracked my diet, you know, wondering why my constipation still was where it was at. I had started on a headache medication that ended up causing a lot of anticholinergic side effects. So my constipation was horrible trying to manage my headaches. Oh, dear. Um, so the pelvic rehab really helped teach me a lot about the muscles yes. um, and the muscle groups there. I started also seeing a great massage therapist, and he is just, a wealth of knowledge about muscles and the connectivity of everything, um, and fascia. He was the first one to ever mention fascia to me. Um, so that brought me to do my own research and see just how important all of this was and how it was all related. Mm -hmm. Um, and now finally, you know, having the hysterectomy helped in regards to, um, the pain. I think my low back pain has gotten worse after the hysterectomy. Funny enough, my OBGYN that did the surgery, she knew that I had Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And she said, removing my uterus, she said the ligaments were so stretched that everything was like a bas- like a bouncy ball in there, just flopping around. Wow. Um, and it was good to take that out. But it was kind of wow. nice to hear her say you know, how the ligaments looked in there. And I said, well, that's how I felt, you know, that everything is just low and pulling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I ovulated, it would just be enough to twist everything else in there and but on how to manage the muscles and um, how important that was. Yeah. You know, muscle yeah. fatigue is so bad. I had been going to the gym before I was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and doing a lot of strength training. Yes. I'd already had some bone loss and all this. And I can't believe how horrible I was okay. going about doing it. My my muscles seemed strong, but I was always in pain afterwards, and it wasn't the normal type. Like I'd get migraines, I'd get really yeah. bad headaches, um, and I would have pain in places that I felt like weren't completely related to the muscle groups I was using. You know the yes. referred pain, how they how it's yep. all connected. I mean, I was doing deadlifts with thirty pounds. And how awful is that for my side joint and my shoulders? Um, so that didn't so, work. So gym, no, gym no. wasn't good. No. Running, I was running at least, you know, a mile a day. Horrible on my knees yeah. and my ankles yeah. and my hips Yeah. and my posture. I mean, learning about how all this is connected. I had no clue how I was leaning more on my hips. I know in pregnancy, you know, after you have a baby, you hold that kid on one side. Yes. And I was favoring that side so much more. And I've had to train my body, my oh, pelvis do yeah. to do the correct thing. And it feels so abnormal because yeah. that muscle memory is not there. So then yeah. I stopped exercising altogether because I didn't, re- I knew that what I was doing was making things worse, Okay, but mm-hmm. I couldn't figure out what was right. And then the muscles fatigued so much. And my joints were in even worse pain. Yeah. So the movement therapy, <laughs> yes, is so, great. I mean, the idea of just laying on the ground with your knees up and allowing the pelvis to rest. Because when we lay down, we're not resting; we're still mm-hmm. holding everything together. Yeah, and to yeah. consciously relax. And even that, I don't want to forget to mention this. I'd always thought that I was relaxing and doing my deep breathing to help my pelvic floor, whether it was through menstrual pains um, or GI stuff, or just to have a bowel movement. When I went to the pelvic floor therapy, they did a test to measure the pressures actually in my pelvic floor. And they thought their machine was broken. (laughs) She said, I've never seen, I mean, she's switching plugs around because, she inserted that little probe into yeah. my rectum and my colon. And the pressure was off the charts. And she said, you need to relax. I said, I, I am. I am. Nice. Take yeah. a few yeah. deep breaths. And she'd feel everything around me soften, but not my pelvic floor. It wow. was wheezing so, so tight. Yeah, That's And that so was all after my babies. And I thought, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And it was a couple months later that I got my diagnosis. And I thought, yeah, well, that makes all the sense. My yeah. pelvic floor is trying so hard to to hold everything, everything and stabilize yeah. so I don't collapse. Yeah. And yeah. there'll be a lot of people listening everything. to that. Yeah. Yes.
0: This, this and is I didn't so, feel
1: like I was, no, but if I exactly. would even push to have a bowel movement, everything would get tighter. Yeah. And this I is thought, so common. Right, I mean, what I is think, wrong with me? Other people yeah. can poop and other people yeah, yeah. can relax.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that because I think this is yep. one of the most not talked about subjects and yep. how our pelvic floors, I had the same issue after my second son which was a traumatic birth. Um, but yeah, pelvic floor just totally seizes up and starts yes. acting as this stabilizer. And of course I had you know other issues like that you'd normally get with a, a weak pelvic floor. So incontinence, yes. you know, yes. couldn't, couldn't run, couldn't, not that I want to run, I'm not a runner, but you not, know. Yeah, c- for sure. Couldn't run, couldn't jump, you know, and you've got two small children, you want to run around yes. playing the park with them. Couldn't yes. do that. Um, right. And people assume that you have a weak pelvic floor. So they give you all the exercises to do. And the more that I did the exercises, the the worse it got. Yes. The pelvic floor was like, I can't do anymore. What are
1: you what are you asking right. me to do? And you had more pain. You were exhausting these already tight Absolutely. muscles.
0: And this is so common. So yeah, you know, it's really it's great that we've talked about it because, you know, like you say, learning to unwind the pelvis, let it settle, let right. the muscles have a break, you know. Yep. Because remember, um, if a muscle is constantly switched on like this, it would be like me having my fist screwed up in a tight ball 24-7. Yep. Um, what's going to happen to that, to these muscles and ligaments? They're going to be so tired. So, yes. so tired. They're going to let me down eventually. Yeah? Yep. And so you yep. get your incontinence, you get your prolapses, etc. And then, of course, learning to unwind that and let it go.
1: Yes. And you know, then help things, strengthen.
0: Exactly. Yes. So you've got, you've got to unwind it Yep. So I can start strengthening it again, contract, yes. expand it. There's no way you can strengthen a muscle that's like this. Right. It's already fatigued. Yes. Not, I'm not just talking pelvic floor. I'm talking about everything. You can't yeah. strengthen a muscle that's screaming out in agony because it's fatigued. Let it relax, give it a break, and then yep. start strengthening it. And yes. I think this is a huge thing that's missed.
1: Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I was never the way that I was even trained to think. It's a very different way to think about it. And it's, you've got to open your mind to other things because a lot of the times the provider you're going to isn't going to open their mind for that. So, of
0: course, that's where the Zebra
1: Club has been great. You've got a community that you can ask people and honestly, I've been so tempted just to get off of Facebook in the past. And the only reason why I'm still on it is because of my EDS support groups and the zebra club, I've learned so much. And I know I can ask, Hey, yeah. this has happened to me this. I feel like I'm crazy. Has yeah. this ever happened yeah. to you? And you'll get a thousand comments. Yes.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> and Feel better. Yeah. So that brings me on to, um, you know, what do you do now to manage your symptoms, your pain, you know, how are you doing now?
1: So um, it it is tough because obviously having two young children um, and I even just working those two days a week, it's tough because I tend to feel worse on those work days um, because it's very hard to keep my posture. And I've gotten to the point where I know that when I would be listening to a patient, my shoulders were forward and my neck was out. I'm listening intently and I've had to come up with ways. Like if I'm in a patient's room, I sit on a little rolly stool. I back myself up against the wall and I make my shoulders and my head touch the wall the whole time I talk to them and I probably look ridiculous. But if I don't do that, my Um, hips and my head are going to be horrible at the end of the day. And a lot, and then on top of it, you're in front of a computer screen. So, um, I've really had to figure out my posture and all, I mean, I find myself making my kids breakfast and I'm hunched over and my head's down and I have to pick my sternum up and just all the things that I've learned in the past couple of years that are so key and so critical. Um, I get a massage once a month. And even that was finding my balance because like you've mentioned as well, You don't want to completely relax the muscle that is holding on where the ligament is lacking. And there have been times where I've had too much of that, and my pain is horrible for days, and I'm subluxing everywhere. Yes. So it's finding that perfect balance where maybe you get that fascia to relax and maybe a little muscle relaxation, but not enough that you're going to be stabilized. Yes, Um, yes. I try so hard to do at least four days a week of um, the movement therapy. And it all depends, you know, where my body's at and what's if maybe I've eaten something that I didn't know was so inflammatory to me or, but the basic guideline that I set for myself with my movement therapy, initially, it was exactly like what you said. You're not going to strengthen the stressed out muscle. Mm -hmm. For the first few months, I had to have the pain and and just do the gentle classes Yeah, you know I had bought your book right after I was diagnosed the hypermobility without oh. tears oh, um, yes and I but honestly I have to be honest I, as I look through your exercises I thought I'm doing so much more than that that stuff doesn't bother me that stuff I can do more challenging things than that that's not an issue and yeah. I was horribly wrong And I think it's funny, it's very humbling because I still, even after I was diagnosed and having the medical knowledge, I didn't know everything and I had to seek out other things. And I spent months just doing the gentle or nothing more than moderate, if I was feeling brave, um, exercises in the Zebra Club or even on your YouTube channel before I even signed up for the Zebra Club. Yeah. yes. and, but it was all about relaxing and finding your breathing and resetting everything.
0: Yeah. And I mm-hmm. couldn't
1: focus on strengthening that until I did that. And so now I'm to the point where it depends on what my day is like. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if it's if my hormones aren't where they need to be, um, and that's making my pain worse, I know that I need to do a gentle class and maybe a stability class. Yeah. Um, but I really now try to focus on. The stability classes and the strength and connect but if it's a high pain day i know i can always go back to the mindful classes and stress-free classes um and it's it's having the patience and knowing that things are going to slowly improve um i take a few supplements but nothing i take vitamin c vitamin d zinc um probiotic one that's specifically supposed to be good for eds it's actually a um probiotic drink that has certain good uh, bacteria in there. Hmm. Um, And that really, I think, helps with my gut as well, of course. yeah. Um, yeah. But nothing, I mean, I do CBD, I do those types, but I'm anaphylactic to NSAIDs. (laughs) So I can't take anything and I'm um, allergic to artificial colors. So that really limits
0: anything that I can
1: try and take to manage the pain. So um, it's really it's really gotten me focused on the importance of movement therapy every morning Mm -hmm. without fail. I spend at least 10 minutes rolling my hips, um, moving my spine a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, doing things that I never would have thought that I'd be doing like Tai Chi type movements um, and focusing on my breathing. And I didn't think that I would wake up early to do it, but I have to the days where I don't, I'm starting off on a horrible foundation mm. and it's going to be so much worse. And yeah. it, what a difference that light movement, that lubrication to the, to the muscles and the joints uh, makes. That's something yeah. that I absolutely cannot skip. Yeah. Um, and absolutely. I've done a little bit of acupuncture, which has helped a bit. It helps with the muscles. Mm-hmm. But even that, she'll get, you know, right at these tight muscles at the base of my skull Mm-hmm. And I'll have a migraine for two days afterwards because the nerves that have again, been isn't it? releasing. Yes. Tightness. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and it's unstable or it's unstable, and yeah. I mean, I can't believe when I first get out of bed, there have been times where I regret it for five days just the way I sat down. It's mm. conscious movement and gentle movements, yeah. and yeah. finding what your body needs.
0: Yes. Um, And
1: it's, it's always on my mind, my posture is always on my mind. And Mm -hmm. setting aside part of my day to do the movement therapy is so enjoyable. And it's been, it's been key. Um, But having that little bit of massage, not too much, not too little, um, has been awesome, too. And just seeing how the body's connected in your uh, fascia class, you have a uh, or no I think it was I can't remember which class it was where you bend down dynamic stretching that's what it is yes, yes. and you do that stretch deep from the back of the leg all the way up oh yes and feel that fascia and it's it's amazing to be able to feel your body kind of release and how you feel when you stand back up those things yep. I find that I I have to do daily
0: yeah yeah It's all about the, you remember, you know, we get pained a lot of the time because that fascia gets stuck. So we've got the muscles and the tissue are meant to glide like this. So when you move, when you, you know, lift your arms up, bend over, you're wanting your tissue to glide very smoothly. And it's because it's hydrated. Yes. Right. When that fascia gets dehydrated, because we don't move enough, Maybe you're in pain and you're like, well, I don't want to move because everything hurts. So I'm just going to sit in my chair. I can totally understand that. But on the other side of the coin, the more you sit in your chair, the fascia gets stuck and stuck and stuck. The you get. So when you go to get out of your chair, it's like, oh, my back. Oh, ow, ow. Because it's gone, oh, I can't do that. And so, like you said, every day or... Every other day, little bits, little and often, yes. keep that gliding going, you're yes. going to have much, much less pain because, as we said earlier, fascia is our biggest sensory organ. It has, I can't remember numbers, but millions and millions of nerve endings in it. Right. So, if that fascia's upset, you're going to know about it, unfortunately.
1: So, for sure. If I was sedentary, well, even in my pregnancies, I had to, that second pregnancy, I was on bed rest over half the time. Yeah. And I was in so much pain. I yeah. couldn't. And I just chalked it up to being pregnant. Yeah. And I knew that I'd had, you know, I'd been diagnosed with lupus and I had fought that, but I knew there was something going on with my joints.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: But it was a lot of it was the immobility. And yeah. now, like conditions. I had said, I was going to the gym and I was doing a lot of active things. And then I totally stopped because I didn't know what to do. And the weakness of my muscles, because I wasn't I was scared to use them. Mm. I didn't know the correct way, right? Yeah, I was nervous. Yeah, yeah. And that made things even worse. Yeah. It was worse than exercising the wrong way to just not be doing anything. Yeah. So to be able to strengthen that, and I feel my body wanting to be Mm. stronger. The massage therapist I see has told me, you know, you by far have the worst. muscles that I've been able to palpate and feel the, the most significant issue of any of my clients, he said, but your body truly wants to work with you. And I feel that, you know, if I yeah. do a little mm-hmm. bit of strength training, I'm not hurting. I feel like my body's happy for it yes. because it's the right type. Yes. And if yeah. I just let it weaken, it can't be, it can't help me. And I try and remember that my body is trying its best with what it was given exactly. to help me stay together yeah. and to prevent injury. Yeah. And I need to have the knowledge on how to help those muscles do that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: Your body is always trying, like you say, it's doing its absolute best. You know, we beat ourselves up and say, oh, why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Right. But your body is doing its absolute best always you know and you know maybe it just needs some new information about like you say how to move or right to eat or you know what's right for that particular body so right yeah
1: so, and nothing's going to get better unless you change what yeah. you're currently doing you know yeah. things you know how things yes. are going to stay if you don't do something different yeah. but at least if you do something different it, there's a possibility for a benefit exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah. And, you know, change isn't always easy. No one said right. this is going to be an easy journey, but, you know, I think we're pretty strong people when you live with a chronic illness, you yes. kind of, you dig deep and you do have to find ways because, yes. you know. Um, so, yeah. So just to finish off, um, Dana, what advice could you give to our listeners, you know, who can maybe relate to your journey, have been inspired by your journey, Um what piece of advice would you like to share with
1: them? Oh, the first thing that pops into my head is to not, don't feel so alone um, because there's more like us and more that are still seeking answers that don't have a diagnosis. Um, Allow yourself to, to understand that everybody has their problems you know, for me, my biggest problem is my EDS. I've been blessed with many other things in my life. And everybody has something, whether it's, you know, a bad relationship, God forbid, or cancer or something, mm-hmm. everybody has things that they're dealing with. And I think as a society, with social media, we tend to feel like we're alone, and no one else you know, all these people are happy. All these people don't have these problems. You have no idea what other people are going through. My patients have said, you know, they'll be complaining about something, or they might be complaining about their weight and how it's affecting their pelvis and their periods and their GI tract. And they'll they'll come right out and tell me, you don't understand because you're not obese. And I have to remind them, everybody has their issues. Every. And they're typically very personal that they don't want to discuss with everybody. Mm -hmm. But don't don't feel like everybody is much better off than you. You don't know what goes on in other people's lives. And they could be suffering through chronic pain, chronic mental disease, who knows, and battling every day, and you don't know. So don't pass judgment. People pass judgment on us. Uh, Everybody has something that they're going through. Um, yeah. and be open-minded that's the big piece of advice is as you feel like you're not alone be open-minded to find alternative solutions you know if you yes. don't fit into this box you're not going to fit into the box because ehlers Stanlos doesn't even fit into its own box yes. we're all so different that we're all so similar too, in that sense yes. So
0: yeah that's nice don't feel yeah. like
1: because what didn't happen to this one person in your support group that didn't help there's something else and don't lose that faith because, mm-hmm. and then on top of it with us, a lot of times things help for a short time and then they stop helping and it's very defeating, mm-hmm. but you've got mm-hmm. to keep looking and you've got to keep your mental state as great as you possibly can. It's it's It can get very depressing and it can get very lonely and um, you have to keep hoping because there are things that can help. And unless you yeah. search for them, you're probably not going to be able to find it because yeah. we've had to become our, our own advocates. Um, a lot of people can go to their physician and get the prescription. They need to help them with a the problem. And that's not typically us. And we've had yeah. the opposite experience. So don't let yourself get down over that. Be, be inspired and empowered by that, that there's a famous meme that goes around that says, don't excuse my a doctor saying don't excuse or don't, Uh, replace my medical degree my eight years of training with your google search and the eds patient says don't confuse your eight-year degree with my 30 years of experience of chronic pain Mm -hmm. Exactly. a physician or a nurse practitioner provider is going to be a good source of information but it's probably not the end all and you have to be the one to do it for yourself and that's empowering yeah you're going to learn so much Yes, I specialize in women's health, but I learned so much about every system in my body now that I can help other people with.
0: Yeah, which is fantastic. Oh, yeah. thank you so much. And thank you You're for welcome. sharing. You're welcome, thank you. Uh, well, you know, we're sharing some personal stories here and, um, you know, it's very valuable for, for, for everyone listening to hear that they're not alone. I think that's so powerful.
1: And, yes.
0: Um, and like you said, it's very empowering, you know? Let's turn this thing around and, and make it something that makes us stronger, yeah? Right. So, so I hope you all found that um, interesting and fascinating and educating. Um, and uh, again, thank you to, to Dana for sharing with us.
1: Um, thank you for having me. No, thank you for most, those who listened.
0: Yes, Now I'm sure, I'm sure we're gonna get lots of comments. If you do have questions or comments, please leave them in the comment box. Or, or drop me an email um, Jeannie at Jeannie Duborn um, and I can pass any questions on to Dana or give her yes, a
1: comments. Absolutely.
0: And, um, but thank you. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching and um, we will see you next time on finding your range.